the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This on-demand presentation from Talk910.com. This is Rob Black. Hear the Rob Black Show every weekday from 10 to noon Pacific Time on 910 AM, more stimulating talk, San Francisco. Thanks for your support. Enjoy the show. It's Rob Black. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. It's a new year. It's not a new me. It's 13% new me with some new meat filler as well. It's been a good holiday season. I'm glad it's behind us. I hate the holidays in large part because I sit around doing stuff that I don't normally do. Like, nothing. I like being busy. I like staying on top of things. The holiday seasons I hate. A, because people overspend money, B, because people overeat, and C, because we're all sitting around doing stuff that we typically normally don't do. I caught myself watching a bowl game, and I'm going like, why do I even care? East Carolina's playing, like, Eastern Kentucky. I'm like, who cares? The bowl season, they have got to go to a a bowl format. They've got to go towards a... Uh, some sort of final eight play each other, or some playoffs kind of system. There's too many frigging bowls. There's too many bowl teams that are like six and six that no one really cares about. You look up in the stadiums and they're 90% empty. It's sad. It's pathetic. It's anemic. It's just, it's not good. We got to get the bowl system to a playoff. I hate to say it, but that's probably President Barack Obama's biggest agenda point for 2010. I wish. I wish he would follow up on putting pressure on the colleges to do this. And it probably won't happen because, I don't know, what what was the whole purpose of the bowl games back 40, 50, 60 years ago? To get people to come to Pasadena who had never been to Pasadena, like as a tourist idea? Yes, yes, I get it. I get it. Some small cities would hurt a little bit because of it. Sometimes it's the biggest thing happening in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Shreveport Bowl. I get it, but good God, that's a sport I would love, and it would make America a lot of money, and it would be good for the national economy if we can get a playoff system for college bowls. Oh, good golly, what else? So I hate the holidays. I hate them. I find myself watching Dick Clark on New Year's Eve and just going, that's so sad and so pathetic. A man who's had a couple strokes is up there. Just he doesn't know when to quit. I promise you I will know when to quit. And I will know when to quit when management wants me to quit because I talked to John Scott right before I went on break. And I said, when it's time to fire me, just give me a six-pack of beer and I'll leave. I'll know it's time to leave when I get that six-pack of beer. That's my big payday. I'm counting on a big payday coming my way someday down the road, a six-pack of beer. So anyway, I hate the holiday season. Now, here's the thing that I like about the holiday season. It's a new year. We get to talk about new stuff, right? Not exactly. The dollar's down. In business. Isn't that the same story we've heard for five years? Overseas markets are up. Isn't that the whole story we've heard for the last 10 years? Overseas markets are up. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got mixed manufacturing data, i.e. the economy. Mixed bag. What voice is that? We got a mixed bag in the world of the economy, and I think that's the story. I don't think that's anything shocking. Now, in this first break, the next eight minutes, I'm going to titillate you with the Super Bowl. 
with CES and with Avatar. Hmm. A little later in the show, what do I got? I got how we're handling a recession. I got some of the best investments with cloud computing for 2010. I got the January effect. What's the January effect? January effect is it's the start of the new year and people have money to allocate into their 401k. For instance, I maxed out my 401k accidentally in the first nine months of the year. So in the last three months, I actually didn't invest any. Turned out that I market timed correctly, but it was only by mistake than anything else. Anyway, you get the basic, basic idea. So there's a lot of new money coming in. So we're going to talk a little January effect later in the hour. And I got some investment ideas up the yin-yang for you. I know you're saying, what exactly is the yin-yang, Rob? Well, if you don't know what the yin-yang is, I ain't going to tell you. So let's talk about um, CES. What is CES? It's the new year. It's the Consumer Electronics Show. I used to go to CES. I used to go to all the big shows. And I, I kind of stopped doing it, A, because people aren't paying me to do it anymore, and B, because, well, people aren't paying me to do it anymore. I like Vegas like everyone else likes Vegas, but I only like Vegas if I'm there for business or for pleasure. I don't like going there kind of on the pseudo-business or pseudo-pleasure type of angle. Anyway, Consumer Electronics Show, kicking off later this week. It is not an adult entertainment show. It does feature entertainment products, though. Hollywood and tech companies, they want to figure out how to, you know, create content and devices that are not company specific. I don't know if you noticed this, but, you know, the Amazon Kindle was the hottest gift this year, which none of my listeners got me. I begged for it. I pleaded for it. I came out on the airwaves and I said, if you love me, you'll get me a Kindle. And people actually had the audacity to say, buy your own damn Kindle. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. Anyway, um, the Kindle... Is Amazon's product, right? Sony came out with a reader. Apple's about to come out with some sort of tablet reader kind of thing. Hollywood doesn't want that. They want kind of a generic because they want to sell more and not into specific. They don't want one to win because when one wins, then it's tougher for them to negotiate with them. Look for a lot of big announcements this week. There's going to be some big money to be made in technology. I will cover it here as best as I can. I can tell you who can cover it better than me. CNET. CNET.com. You can go to CNET.com. Um, there's a couple good tech websites out there that I, you know, you could probably find uh, that are top-notch in reviewing product. The problem is there's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of press releases coming out this week, all tied towards this big electronic show. Look for big announcements. Look for digital standards. Look for big media companies. Walt Disney is banking on its technology. They got a technology called KeyChest. Mobile TV is getting a little bit of momentum. So we're starting to hear some things like that. So who are going to be some of the big winners that come out this week of CES? I can tell you. I think it'll be Dolby. I think it'll be a company called DTS. And I think it'll be a company called DivX. Um, And let me tell you why. Because high-definition libraries are expanding. Players are, are, are continuing to go. So you can watch Amazon or Netflix. And when you're at Amazon or Netflix, you can watch TV shows. that If you want to get Dolby Stereo you got to pay for Dolby Technologies. And Dolby is actually a publicly traded company, and it's a smart idea. It's a play on the digital living room. Our living room and how much we love it and how much we want to stereoize it and, and turn the TVs into super big TVs. So DivX, Dolby Labs are probably two of the, the better plays. There's also a company called DTS. I know you're saying, Rob, probably means something like digital transmission systems. I don't know what it means. But those are the three players. 
And they benefit from Blu-ray. They benefit from internet-based video on demand. They benefit from anything along those lines. DivX, they do codecs and file-based video fit-ins that kind of, when you do a high-definition movie, they kind of cram it down into a smaller format. And then when you expand it and play it, it kind of um, expands it. That's the whole basic idea. It's a compression technology that's digitally oriented that basically gives a lot of rights to the people who create the content. So anyway... You get the idea of what's coming out of CES this year. 2010 CES, it's going to be pivotal, I think, for a company called DivX, ticker symbol D-I-V-X, and also Dolby Labs, ticker symbol D-L-B. And it's, again, it's a play on our lifestyle and the fact that we want super premium content, whether it's at movie theaters or in our homes, we want it to look good, we want it to sound good. Those are the basics for you. And also we want to protect the digital rights management, maybe, not you and me, but the big companies do. This is a call-in show. It's a new year. I expect more calls from you. I expect more interaction. You could uh, call the show about what you did on New Year's Eve. Did you go to a cabin in Tahoe and hang out with friends because you couldn't afford to go to a cabin in Tahoe and hang out with just your spouse? You had to invite friends along. Do you like friends? Do you not like friends? What was your angle this year? What's your angle on the recession? You could talk about anything. Did you see the movie Avatar? Did you like the movie Avatar? I thought the movie Avatar sucked. I thought it was a pretty average film that looked beautiful. I thought it was a pretty average story that the world is consuming and going, whoo, it's the greatest thing we've ever seen. It's already made over a billion dollars in revenue. I don't think it's the greatest thing we've ever seen. You know, there's more people cooking bread and planting gardens. That's a, a play on, even though we're in a recession or coming out of a recession, even though we have high unemployment, we're spending a little bit, we're, we still want food. We're just not willing to pay a premium for it anymore. That's the basic idea. We're, we're still doing stuff as a nation. We're as active as we've ever been. We're just inviting friends along to cut the costs. Are you playing in the recession in any way, shape, or form, or is it full speed ahead for you? 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Now, what if you had a wacky dream? What if you had a wacky dream that you were an avatar? That James Cameron's movie Avatar was what you and I are, that we're really just aliens sitting in a pod up in space and dreaming our lives. It's an Avatar's world. We just live in it. So the movie Avatar it crossed the billion-dollar mark in worldwide ticket sales. You get this. James Cameron, as a director, he's going to have the number one and number two top revenue movies of all time. Ain't that a kick in the butt? Ain't that a kick in the butt? But Titanic and then this, and I don't know if this is going to beat Titanic. I don't know. I'm not that kind of smart of a guy. I don't know how, how movies have legs. I understand fashion models more so than business models when it comes to big entertainment companies at times. That's actually a, a quote that I stole from Summer Redstone. Uh, it wasn't actually Summer Redstone. It was actually spoken about him. He's one of those creepy 80-year-old CEOs of a company that's got a 25-year-old hottie on his arm. If I could be that guy, I would. But I find that guy kind of creepy, so I don't want to be that guy. Anyway, um, Avatar crosses a billion dollars, and James Cameron's going to have the number one Titanic and number two Avatar. Now, again, Avatar is benefiting from IMAX, publicly traded company, IMAX, and the fact that they can charge more for the movie. So even though it's more in revenue, it's higher ticket sales has helped Avatar as well. To get your calls in there, it's 800-345-5639. Did you miss me? 800-345-5639. I missed you. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk.
Ahead at noon, Glenn Beck. Now, Rob Black. 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Talking all things financial. Do you want to be the first caller of 2010 and you can write it down in your journal and show it to your kids? I was the first caller of the Rob Black show in 2010, the year before he either like jumps off a building and and, and, and splats himself or the year before I go nation, nationwide and international and huge. You can be the first caller of what could be a monumental year or it could just be another year. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. We also have a blog. It's talk910.com, talk910.com. If you're too afraid, if you're too afraid to ask questions, I'm not going to answer them from the blog, but I'll interact with the blog. I'll make it community-based, but I'm not going to answer stock questions on the blog, but that's there at talk910.com, talk910.com. I'm going to talk about cloud computing, hopefully, in this break. I'm going to try. But cinema surpassed DVD sales in 2009. It's an easy business lesson for you and I to learn. Last year was the first year since 2002 that consumers spent more money buying movie tickets than buying movies to watch at home. Now, according to new data, this is, uh, Americans spent $9.87 billion at the box office in 2009. That's 10% more than 2008. Now, at the same time, sales in the U.S. of feature films on DVD, long a cornerstone of movie studios' business models, plunged 13%. Blu-ray high-definition discs... Um, didn't really carry their load, so to speak. Now, the figures indicate that studios are likely going to have to continue to look for ways to survive in a marketplace where they can't count on the hefty home entertainment revenue to offset giant um, production costs. It's a hell of a dilemma, right? Hit titles like Transformers, Harry Potter, the movie Up, they were amongst those that lured large number of Americans to the cinema last year. So... This is big for companies like GE and News Corp and Time Warner. It's big for the the alternate players like Coinstar. Coinstar makes that red box, which every now and then I get a rash. <laughs> Think about that for a quick second. And I go into CVS or I go into Long's or I go into my local pharmaceutical store that sells pharmaceuticals for rashes. And I go, ooh, let's see what's in the red box kiosk. It intrigues me because I can rent a movie for a dollar. I feel like I'm cheating the system. Instead of paying 12 bucks to see Inglorious Bastards at a movie theater, instead of paying 5 bucks in late fees at Blockbuster, I go, ooh, let's see if I can beat the system by getting it for a dollar, watching it tonight, and returning it tomorrow. So there are winners. Amongst all the losers and pandemonium and calamity, there are winners. I just, there's, I just have to say that. Let's go to Santa Clara, Eswar. Uh, hi, Rob. Good hi. morning. Uh, so, um, I have two things I would like to talk about. One is the movie Avatar. I agree with your comment that it's a pretty common movie, but made beautifully. But I definitely didn't understand what the first was about. My friend dragged me out yesterday, and I was standing in line in cold for half an hour to get into the theater. Um, Did you ever see Dances with Wolves, Aswar? 
Yeah, I saw the movie. It was that the, one was a lot. Yeah, it was I the really, same movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. So, um, yeah, I think it's just technology made beautiful, um, huge scale in terms of spending and all that. But yeah, one billion dollars in fifteen days or seventeen days, whatever it is, that's. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Absolutely. So, what's your second issue? Second point. Uh, second one actually is an issue that I'm facing. Um, recent, uh, I was running a bakery business uh, recently, and because of the economy and everything, um, it went under. We are closing down the business. Uh, we have uh, bank debt as well as a credit card uh, debt on it. The credit card was debt was at Advanta, which uh, closed out its business. Um, division. Uh, so we are not able to talk to anybody for a while. They increased the uh, um, interest rate to 30%. Wow. I was trying to see if I can settle this somehow with them um, without uh, getting a bad uh, report onto my credit, uh, into my credit report. Sure. As were. Well. Uh, I would immediately meet with a bankruptcy attorney and you're shutting down your business and you don't really want the cost, the legacy cost of your business to shut down your personal life, so to speak, is is what I'm assuming, right? Yeah. So I, I would meet with a business attorney and or a bankruptcy attorney. If you need a referral, drop me an email as well and I'll, I'll send you out two or three that I've, I've had, not personal success, but that I know that they're going to charge you lawyer fees, but they'll do what they say they're going to do. They'll, they'll work in your behalf. Um, okay. but th- it's a tricky situation. Thanks for the call. Keep your bills current so that you don't fall super behind, but get an attorney involved as soon as possible. Shutting down a bakery, uh, you can like your lease owners, they can go after you. You probably leased a property. Um, I don't know how you do it. And it's definitely out of my purview as far as experience goes. I've never owned a bakery. Um, every business I've ever had, I've either sold or it ended well, or it's still ongoing. Um, but I do know some good business attorneys and I do know some good bankruptcy attorneys in your case. You, that's probably the direction I would go. Let's go to John in Walnut Creek. John. Hey, Rob. Good new year to you. Oh, thanks. Hey, love your program, man. And, um, I've been listening to you since CNET. <clears throat> hey, um, Rob, I got an estate plan question for you. Um, I, uh, my brother, my sister, and I had a simple partnership with my uncle, which we inherited um, from my dad. And um, I guess the, the question I've got for you, this might be up your alley. Um, my uncle passed on about a month ago, and he's got six heirs. So we've actually got nine people that are all married. So there's probably 18 people in this partnership now. Sure. So what? Would you recommend in regard in you know uh, any ideas about you know how to set up the entity? Um, like uh, we were thinking about doing like an LLP. I think you probably want to get a business attorney. I hate to do that two calls in a row, but <laughs> okay. I don't. I like I don't even know what business you're in. What business is this that you inherited? Well, oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, it's just vacation property. We've got uh, okay. 20 acres up in Clear Lake. Okay, and is it in a trust? Right now, my brother is holding our partnership. Well, yeah, and then, but it was actually a simple partnership. Uh, my uncle. I mean, we've all got trusts, but 
it's not in a trust. The property's not in a trust. It's a simple partnership. In other words, everybody's got a trust, but everybody's in partnership. Now, how, how are you? And it sounds like there's two of you who are primary business owners, and somehow did someone die where one of the primary owners lost or gave away it to nine other people? Yeah, what it was, my uncle died, and his heirs, there's six of my cousins. Right. And then my brother and sister and I um, inherited the partnership from my father. Originally, it was just my father and my uncle. So, like I said, there's now... Okay. I mean, before it was not that difficult, but now it's, you know, we've got, like yeah. I said, with, with the spouses, we've got... Like, hey John, John, wait till one of those spouses loses their job. Or no. wait... Wait till one of them gets knocked up or a divorce, and suddenly she wants say in his property, and he wants to never talk to her again. Um, yeah, me, no, it, that's what happens. I think in your case, that's why what we do in my family, John, is when when we die, we liquidate everything and give people cash, right? Because we don't want the situation where families get torn apart because of um, financial decisions. So it, we make the decision for them, so to speak. Um, Again, what I would probably do is I would probably set up a meeting with an attorney for the primary owners of the company at this point in time, include a board of directors minutes discussion of what y'all are planning to do uh, with the minority partners. You want to document everything because you don't want to get sued. You want to document everything with an attorney sooner than later. I think you want to turn it over to a trust I think you want to move this asset into a trust and then hire someone like me to manage the trust and manage the property decisions and to equally distribute the profits to the right people. Um, I think, or I think you're at least going to want professional management of the property so that they can divvy up the profits properly. Um, As you can see, this can get very, very messy. Not my area of expertise, not this week, but next week, Chad Burton's going to return to the airwaves and he's more of an estate planning guy. Um, there's good attorneys out there, for instance, LermanLaw.com, LermanLaw.com. There's a chick named Michelle Lerman, um, a female attorney, and I shouldn't refer to her as a chick because she could probably eat me for breakfast. She's pretty powerful. Michelle Lerman at LermanLaw.com. They do estate planning, um, and I would work with an estate planner before you get into a situation like you're currently in. Let's go to John and Hayward. John? Great entertainment. I have one question. I'm in Evergreen Funds, and I'm thinking about leaving Evergreen Funds and just going to Vanguard, Jenny May. I just want to know what you thought. That's a pretty wide decision that you're making. You want to leave the Evergreen Funds, and you probably have different types of Evergreen Funds. You probably have... California Municipal, uh, Global, S&P, several others. Okay. There's nothing wrong with Evergreen Funds, first and foremost. And like you just said, you, you're in California municipals and you're in S&P 500 uh, type funds. So you're in a variety of funds with Evergreen. Evergreen's a good group. They're not the group I would work with. Again, I would work with, like you're mentioning, companies like Fidelity or Vanguard because they're cheaper funds. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to make a decision, you know, this month on, on whether to just do, you know, I've been thinking about it for a long time and I couldn't pull the switch. But you're killing me when you said that you're going to go into a, a Vanguard Ginny May because ultimately what you're saying is I'm going to give up the growth of the S&P 500. Right. I'm going to give up the growth of international investing, and I just want the damn security of Ginny May funds. Right. Um, I understand what you're saying. So you're kind of going 180 on me and saying, like, I'm just going to go all conservative. Um, expense ratios at Evergreen funds are okay. They're about 1.3%. Not crazy. Um 
if you were to move from the Evergreen family to Fidelity or Vanguard family of funds, and they both have hundreds and hundreds, all three of them have hundreds and hundreds of mutual funds to satisfy your needs, John, I don't think you have to put yourself in a teeny tiny conservative box and say just Chitty Mays. I think Fidelity and Vanguard have as many funds as Evergreen, if not more. They do. And they have as many funds, if not more than Evergreen, at lower cost. So I support the idea. I just don't want you to put yourself in that teeny tiny little box. Coming up, I'm going to talk cloud computing. I'm going to do that next segment right out of the gate because I promise I'll do it this segment. i got to stick to my words. We'll take a break here. It's the Rob Black Show, 800-345-5639. Get your calls in there. It's actually kind of funny. We have a, a blogger who keeps changing his name to a radio personality that I probably would hate or despise or spit on in person, um, like Ron Owens. No, I don't hate or despise Ron Owens. I should strike that comment. I, th- I highly regard what he does um, because what he does is he pulls away all the 80-year-old listeners from this show and they go there to basically die in, in radio uh, heaven or the radio graveyard, so to speak. Uh, eh. Radio stations, TV stations, they don't want old listeners. It's a demographic that's not highly touted. You're not going to see ads during the Super Bowl that are like, hey, come live in this old folks home. Just not that highly touted or wanted. Um, anyway, this guy, he goes with, he like, for instance, today he's no name. Sometimes he's Ron Owens. Sometimes he's, he just changes his name to other radio personalities. I think that's funny. So I find people funny. We'll talk Super Bowl commercials at some point in time during the show because it's intriguing to me. Pepsi is, well, I'll talk a little bit about it right now. Pepsi's made a ballsy move. And by ballsy, you know what I'm talking about. Testosterone. It's an aggressive move. They're not going to push Pepsi during the Super Bowl. They've given up on it. Coke wins. Do you think Pepsi, do you think people will stop drinking Pepsi products? I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. They are going to push Doritos, which is part of their Frito-Lay brand that they also own. But they're not going to push Pepsi. Do you think people are going to stop buying Pepsis? I doubt it. I don't understand the the fascination with television commercials. Now, the, what the, the the cute thing is is they've become such a prime time event, so to speak, that we start previewing the commercials and we start talking about it before it actually happens. So they get more bang for their buck. If I were to run a Super Bowl commercial, it'd probably just be me on a couch eating corn chips. And you wouldn't know if it's a commercial for the TV. You wouldn't know if it's a commercial for the couch or a commercial for the corn chips. It would just be intriguing. Let's talk a little bit about cloud. Let's talk cloud. And for the record, the phone number is 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. CES is this week, and I highly recommend you look at it. Consumer Electronics Show. It's part of our economy, huge part of our economy. But let's talk a little cloud computing. This is something you've heard of. I know you have. And it's kind of an intriguing idea. For instance, I want to start a website called robblack.tv. And on Rob Black TV, it's going to be all financial stuff. And for instance, I may give market updates shirtless because I think it would be funny for you to be at home going, why is this guy not wearing a shirt and yet he's talking about the stock market? 
Or maybe what I'll do is I'll do a green screen and I'll have the Ewoks running behind me. And I'll be given a market update because I think we've all seen the super good looking blonde who can read the what how the market did today. We've all seen the super douchey dude in the tie and the cufflinks talk about how smarter he is than you in the stock market. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that blonde. So I want to come up with something slightly different. So I want to start Rob Black TV. Now, here's the kicker. I know nothing about websites. Nothing. I know nothing about bandwidth issues. Nothing. Nothing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay someone to do this for me. Something like an AT&T or an Amazon.com or a Savvis or maybe a Terramark world. So cloud computing essentially is the interconnection of computer data centers via a network, usually the Internet. It's transforming computing over the next decade or so. For instance, in the next couple of years, I'm not going to be buying a desktop anymore. There's no need. I don't need the power on my desktop. I just need the internet speed on my desktop. Now, so I will basically, AT&T will update my computer each and every year for me. They'll give me faster, 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 faster services. No problem. It's just the internet connection that's going to be cute kicker. So from the cloud, computing power and other services can be accessed on demand. So computing power can be accessed on demand. You tracking with me at this point in time? It can be used as needed and paid for based on the usage, which can be what, in my mind, is a heck of a lot more efficient than owning racks of computers and stacks of software that seldom run at peak efficiency. Now, these benefits, they look even more attractive as companies search for new ways to save money in a tough economy. Also, they look more attractive for people like me who want to break into a pioneering new niche of media and not spend an arm and a leg. Eventually, what this is going to mean is that companies would own fewer computers and have less need to make major enterprise software investments. Companies that would benefit are the arms merchants here. Products who help build clouds by enabling the consolidation of data storage. Now, there's a company called Riverbed. Take a simple RVBD. RVBD. I know you're saying, Rob, you give away way too much knowledge. I know, I know. It's something I do. Three part, take a simple PAR. VMware, take a simple VMW. Hot and sexy IPO a couple years ago, still in the business. But now you no longer pay that hot and sexy IPO price. Now, investors could concentrate on companies that provide partial or complete IT infrastructure, like AT&T. Amazon.com, Savvis, ticker symbol SVVS, and Terramark World. So now what I would do if I were you, because I don't want to be your Buddha, I don't want to be your guru, I'd go to Yahoo and go to Yahoo Financials and sign in with your Yahoo password and create a folder called Cloud Computing. And every now and then check on it and see, okay, this is an investment theme. Rob says more and more power is going to go to the cloud. Less and less on the desktop. Now, less and less on the desktop could hurt HP. It could hurt Dell. It could hurt IBM, unless they're involved in other businesses like enterprise software and hardware. Unless they're involved in other businesses like printers and storage devices. Or unless they you know, actively pursue that cloud as well. So, I just want you to learn ever so briefly how to do this. So, my contract, we got extended for an extra 30 days here at Clear Channel. We're arguing. Now, the thing I like about arguing, for the world record, Invictus, awful movie. Awful. Why, did, why are they making movies dumber and dumber and dumber and more obvious? I don't get it. 
There's a great play by a guy named Anthel Fugard, ticker symbol, not ticker symbol, <laughs> last name Fugard, F-U-G-A-R-D. It's called My Children, My Africa. That's a great insight into Africa. Invictus, awful insight into South Africa. But because we're a nation of lazy butts, we're like, oh, Morgan Freeman, role of a lifetime. Good God. We're just awful. We just like being shoveled stuff, don't we? We'll consume anything, whether it's good or bad. Anyway, um, I don't know where I... Why did I get out of that kick? Yeah, I know. I got dragged to the movie Invictus. I would give it zero stars out of four. No, I'd give it one star out of four. The, the soundtrack was okay. Clint Eastwood, shame on you. That was an awful movie. Awful movie. And Nelson Mandela, he is a charismatic figure. The, oh, what I was going to try to get at was the, the argument that Africaners have that basically forgive people that you basically want to work with them and, and and join the team versus fight against each other. Anyway, awful, awful movie. If you want great insight in Africa, there's a playwright out of Africa called Anthal Fugard, F U G A R D. Um, fantastic, fantastic, um, writer. And there was a good movie many, many, many years ago, cry freedom. Um, that was pretty good. It was about the life of Stephen Biko, who was a little bit more, um, problem solving than, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, huge, wonderful, powerful, incredible man. Also a womanizer. Also a womanizer. He has his loss. But anyway, um, Stephen Biko once said, just because you argue doesn't mean we dislike each other. Um, you're allowed to argue. And I want you to make your own arguments. I want you to figure this stuff out. Anyway, I'm totally digressing now. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. And if you read anything by Anthal Fugard and you don't like it, shame on you. But I am telling you, it's the best insight into what is South Africa or what once was South Africa's biggest problems. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. I've hit cloud computing. I feel good that I got it out of the way. Now i got to hit January effects. i got to hit more issues about your portfolios. We're going to talk about investment ideas. We're going to talk about Walmart. We're going to talk about Intel. We're going to talk about annuities. i got tons of content. That's Irish for tons of content. Tons of content. And i got a pot of gold. Why are always the pots not quite big enough and gold overflows it? And why are treasure chests never quite big enough and gold always overflows it? I'd make a bigger pot. And I'd also make a bigger treasure chest if I was a pirate. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show. Talk910.com. 9, 9.10 a.m. More stimulating talk. A man who preached nonviolence in a state which has racism enshrined in its constitution. A man who was imprisoned tortured and killed so remember how he's just slamming Invictus and Nelson Mandela this is Peter Gamble singing a song called Biko did this I think in 79-81 but it was it's about Stephen Biko who to me was the true spirit of South Africa who to me was the true spirit about change and this is what's wrong with me when other kids were listening to Metallica and rocking around and banging chicks I was listening to Peter Gabriel songs about politics and Stephen Biko in South Africa. And you know what I always liked about Stephen Biko or about Peter Gabriel? was He's kind of like me. He can't really sing terribly well. He just talks. He just talks through his songs. He gets good African beats behind him and he talks. He's more of a poet singer than a singer. But I always dug it because he was able to close 
a rock show with 200,000 people with a song about South Africa and Stephen Biko, which if you don't know who Stephen Biko is, I mean, I strongly push you, push you to go Wikipedia him. His last name's B-I-K-O, B-I-K-O. He really, to me, was um, the change in the heart of South Africa. So, which, by the way, did you know that in college, I came out of college and I had a, I don't know if I should tell this story, but I, sh- I guess I should tell this story. Uh, one of the things I did in college was I took a playwriting class because I was dead afraid of writing plays. It was the one thing that I knew that I couldn't do. So it was the one thing that I wanted to do. I took the class from a guy named Stephen Carter. Now, Stephen Carter is, I think, one of the living greatest playwrights of our time, of our generation. Now, again, living, he's he's African and uh, he's pretty intriguing to me. He said, Rob, you don't need to change your life. You don't need to do anything momentous till you're 40 years old. Uh, he was in the United States military, and while he was in the military and fighting the war, um, his wife and child were killed in a car crash back in the United States. And if that doesn't change your whole perspective on everything, I don't know what does. But anyway, I came out of college, and I was actually given a residential playwright. I was a residential playwright, which is it seems like hundreds of years ago, um, for the Victory Gardens in Chicago. So... Interesting little odd fact about Rob Black, which if you didn't listen today, you'll never know, because I'll never tell that story again. It's just not my shtick. I don't talk a lot about me. I'm kind of shy. 800, I know you're saying you're kind of shy, and yet you have a boisterous, loud voice on, on radio. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Um, yep. And it was actually kind of interesting. The Victory Gardens, um, they thought I was black because I was writing plays about black South Africa, which, again, you know, changed in back 1986, 1988. In that time frame, the world changed as South Africa, you know, suddenly apartheid ended or started to end, so to speak. Anyway, so they hired me sight unseen because they knew my teacher and they thought I was African-American and they were a little surprised to find that I wasn't. And I was in a whole cast of all African-Americans. I wrote plays for African-Americans and that was kind of fun. Anyway. Long time ago, 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Little things that you don't know about me. <laughs> 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Okay, so the stock market is up today. It's up 1.5%, okay? So we're on track now to have the stock market up 260% for the year. Sweet, it's going to be a good year. Except for every day is not going to be like today. And that's why I don't give a crap about day-to-day market moves. I don't. I look and I talk about them because I'm paid big sacks of gold to talk about them. I don't really care about the day-to-day. Do you? Do you really think we're going to be up 260% this year? Because if you do, you're crazy. It's going to be a fight. Now, we'll talk about the fight here. I got no problems talking about the fight, and I'll help you figure it out on where we think the markets are going to go. Let's talk a little bit first and foremost about the January effect. This is stuff that people want to talk about. I myself think it's a little bit overrated, but it's really not overrated when you take a look at statistics and the, the facts on it. The January effect is this whole basic concept that as the month of January goes, so goes the year. And there's a strong correlation that actually proves this to be true. In any year where January is an up month, the Dow Jones Industrial Averages average 10% for the year. In any year where the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down for the month, Dow Jones Industrial Average averages for the year under one half of 1%. So there's a strong correlation, a huge correlation. Now, 
do I think it's going to automatically hold up? Uh Uh-uh. I don't play that game. I take a look at many, 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 many things. The January effect basically gets people chasing. And I don't chase. I'm a robot. I just don't chase. It's not in my nature. I study. I plan. I look. I diversify. I think this is going to be a good year for telecom stocks. I think it's going to be a good year for utilities because they both provide some safety and some dividends. I think it's going to be a good year for technology stocks. I think it's going to be a good year for world markets. I think it's going to be a good first half of the year this year, followed by a weak second half. Only, I'm not willing to commit to that weak second half because I want to see how the economy plays out between now and then. I'm not going to go on record and say in definitive weak second half. I'm going to say pretty good chance we've got a good first half. Hey, but look what can happen. Plane could blow up over Detroit. I can't see that coming. And that could change my whole thesis. So any douche that tells you the market's going to go up this year is a douche. If they say it definitively, they don't know. Now, you can look at the stock market and you can say, I don't really have a lot of faith in it. You can look at real estate and say, I really don't have a lot of faith in that. If you ever think real estate's going to create the same type of wealth that it created from 2002 to 2006, you're an idiot. You're seriously an idiot. You're financially retarded. Class A, moron. What you need to do is diversify and make bets on things that work over time. That's the game I play. For instance, I'm overweight in emerging markets. I still think that's the place to be. I think they've had a huge correction showing you that they're, they're pretty scary. If you take a look at the S&P 500 from 2000, 2009, not a lot of action. Take a look at China. They're up 160%. India, up 220%. Brazil, up 330%. Russia, up 800% in 10 years. Is it easy money? Uh Uh-uh. Russia's got a little problem. Like, they're not quite sure if they want to be communist or capitalist. Some days they want to be capitalist. Some days they want to be communist. So if you invest in it, you better invest for the long time. It's been the roaring 2000s for everywhere but the United States. Brazil, Russia, China, and India. Numbers are staggering. For instance, if you were wise enough to invest in the Ukraine stock exchange... You were up 1,300%. Excuse me, 1,350%. In Peru, you're up 660%. Now, again, I can't even find the Ukraine on a map. And I'm willing to be honest with you and say that, so I don't invest in it. I'll invest in bigger themes like Asia. I'll invest in bigger things uh, as far as themes go. Jobs going overseas from the United States. A lot of Americans waiting for economic recovery, but money is pouring into fast-growing countries. If you're not with them, you're making a mistake. What we're living through is something in epic proportions, and I think it can hurt you if you expect instant gratification. Because, again, if you take a look at these foreign markets, from 07 to 08, they were murderous. You were murdered, copyright Rob Black, 2009. You were murdered if you were invested in foreign markets, 2007 and early 2008. They've got a a history of giddy booms and crushing busts. Sounds like my dating life. I'm so in love. Sex is good. And then a boom, crushing back to reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So despite 2009 gains, very few predict a huge setback or an instant correction. So do I want you to have all of your money in foreign markets? Uh Uh-uh. I want you to have some of it. Look at Dubois. 
Today, you can see a big skyscraper. It's going to become the world's largest building. That's pretty impressive. But it's also a sign of the real estate boom mine that went on there. I know you're saying real estate boom in the desert? Really? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So you have to be incredibly cautious and incredibly careful in investing in foreign markets. Emerging markets are eclipsing their developed peers. Imports to these nations are likely to surpass imports to the United States. What's that mean? When you're saying imports into Brazil, Russia, India, and China are going to surpass the United States, what's that mean? Does it mean what I think it means? It does. It does. They're becoming big consumers, and the world needs them to be big consumers. Because not only can you create a middle class in Brazil, Russia, India, and China, nations that have been incredibly poor, historically, now created a middle class, nations that have been incredibly disruptive on where wealth goes to, the higher end versus the lower end versus the middle. Class stratification is huge. It's obvious. Emerging markets are going to account for 70 to 75% of the growth for the foreseeable future. America is no longer the powerhouse that we once were, and the world no longer needs America to be the powerhouse that we once were. Now, funds focusing on emerging markets, they attracted $75 billion last year. They were huge winners. They were huge winners. And let's see if I got um, some of these names here. Well, again, some of the, the obvious ones were Indonesia up 129% last year, Brazil up 127%, Thailand up 71%. I like Thailand. Philippines up 70%, Australia up 70%. You got to think bigger than the United States. You can't just invest in the United States. You can't. Look at the biggest IPOs last year. An IPO is an initial public offering. You know what an IPO is? It's basically you and I start a business, we come up with a great idea. We start showing the world that we can execute this idea and that there's demand for it. And then financial, smart, savvy people jump in and they want a piece of the action. The biggest IPOs last year, Banco Santander. What's Banco Santander? It's a bank in Brazil. VisaNet, which is a Brazil financial company. Then number three is a company called Verisk Analytics. I know you're saying Verisk, very risk, very, very uh, verifiable risk analytics. Based in the United States, they were the third biggest IPO last year. There's a company called Meyer Holdings. It's a retailer out of Australia. Now, Australia's got a lot of good things. First and foremost, they got good-looking women. they got a country that's as large geographically as the United States with a tenth of the people. they got a road system that's underdeveloped. Oh, and they got gold and commodities. they got copper, gold, and oil. they got the commodities. And Australia's kind of like the United States with an accent and without the big debt the United States has. So I like Australia. I like, if you were to put a gun to my head and say Australia, the United States, I'm going to Australia. As far as an investment for the next 30 years. Everbright Securities comes out of China. That was a big IPO. China Merchants out of China. Delta Lloyd, big IPO last year, the eighth largest out of the Netherlands. CFAO, they're an auto company out of France. And Sino Pharmaceuticals out of China was the 10th largest. So out of the 10 largest IPOs last year, Only one of them was an American-based company. IPOs tend to track money and where the action is. Now, it could be a a dumb indicator in large part because we had a lot of IPOs come out in 2000 in tech companies. We had more in 99, 98, 97, but we had a lot in 2000. There was a gold rush mentality. I'm not telling you to get into foreign markets and thinking that it's easy. I'm not. I hope I'm making my point. I think I'm making my point. I hope I'm making my point. 
It's Rob Black Show. You're listening to Talk910.com or 910.com, 910 AM. Tell friends about it. It's kind of got a new format. Last year, we kicked Savage off the air. We replaced him with um, Glenn Beck and John and Ken show. I think it was a good change. Um, I think it's a different change. I think it's a move in a different direction. So tell friends about 910 AM because there's more stimulating talk on 910 AM. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.